Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Better Board Games podcast, where me and Evan uh, try to make the world a better place through board games and discussions around board games, what they teach us. Today, we're talking about, I'll say we being Evan, like you said, and (laughs) you said me, but I don't know what that means. What's your name? McKay. I'm McKay. (laughs) Okay, there we go. I just wanted you to introduce yourself. Um, We're talking about tabling um how easy or hard it is to get any specific game to the table and what that means for where that game stands in your collection and what kind of gamers or people i don't know have a different response to that question and just all i don't know all sorts of stuff about that we all have these games that we have a hard time getting the collection sorry to the table and they make us feel a certain thing so we'll talk about that let's dive right in It's probably worth saying that there are probably different gamer types um, as far as and that can probably be pretty well summed up in what games make it to the table when I can I consider myself a pretty well-rounded gamer as far as I like most things. However, if you look at my tabling trends, I think you I think I clearly get put in this like gateway to mid range, like medium, medium heavy ish um, yep. category um, that really is indicative of what gets to the table and why. And I'm personally interested in diving a little bit more into my psyche of why these things make it to the table more often than others, because I have suspicions, mm-hmm. but I I also suspect that some tendencies will be unearthed here. <laughs> that, that's cer- certainly true in, in terms of any like player themselves. Um, there's a certain kind of game that you might be a lot more hesitant to put at the table. Like maybe the idea of playing it while you like the game, the idea of playing it is a little bit more like, I don't know if I want to do that right now. Or, you know, you might feel that often. So, so for some people, it's the sort of more heavier games. That's kind of typically what you'll see it's like Mm -hmm. i want to play a game but like that one you know that's a little much for me or whatnot but also the group because Mm -hmm. me as a player has or plays a certain you know certain games more often than others but if i had you know a hundred percent choice in the matter and had the people to play with all the time then like maybe my my tabling trends would be different right Right. So a lot of it has to do with what other people will play with you. And then to go into that a little bit further, it's kind of like tangentially related, um, is lifestyle. And that's not to say like just your friend group, but also Mm -hmm. I'm a dad with four young kids. Uh, My gaming window, since I have to wake up early and take care of kids and get kids ready for school and stuff, my gaming window sits squarely between 7.30 to 8 when they go to bed and... I mean, 10.30 to 11 before I start to crash or know that the next day is going to be really rough for me if I stay up any later. So that's a pretty narrow window. And then even like weekends or holidays or anything like that, taking a four hour chunk out of any day um, is putting a lot of strain on my wife or like putting a lot of pressure on her to just be like, all right, you are 100% responsible for the kids while I go enjoy myself. It's just a hard decision to make based on my lifestyle. 
Yeah, and that's something that can change. Like you, you, you know, one day your kids will be older and they'll be able to play games with you, or and mm-hmm. I'm sure you already do that with you know, but like, but not for any game, games. right? Exactly, <laughs> any game with you. Um, and some people, I, in terms of, in terms of lifestyle, sometimes it has to do with not only what you're physically capable of pulling off, right? Like playing a four hour game doesn't work when you have kids typically. Mm-hmm. Um, some people just have jobs that make them think a lot. And then, so they get home mentally exhausted. And so playing a game with a ton of really high stress decisions mm-hmm. isn't relaxing at all. And so like those kinds of things can impact this, not just your personal preference, right? Like right. you actually in a, microcosm of a reality where you can do anything you want with any amount of time you might end up loving four hour heavyweight games the most mm-hmm. i don't i don't know if that's true maybe you do or don't maybe i don't know i think you like those <laughs> midweight games quite a bit still i do <laughs> but but maybe that's just because your life circumstance i don't know it, exactly and that's it's, it's i think a lot of it is nature versus nurture like i think oh i've been God. conditioned into these games because of my lifestyle in a large sense and someday when i have a little bit more time on my hands um i can totally see a four-hour game that is just like more of like a all right i mean even more of a dungeons and dragons feel like role-playing games for me are difficult too because they just require a steady schedule and dedication a group that is like all in the same kind of period of life and stuff and i just don't have that right now so so i don't know um for me those four hour more complex games don't get to the table i already alluded to this because there's not enough people that are willing to play those games you know super often with me Mm -hmm. so i'm typically when i'm playing games i'm playing the mid midweight games that like i can play with my family or you know certain friends who like don't want to you know there's a lot of people who don't want to play yeah Gaia project and Terra Mystica or whatnot, you know. Um, and so for me, my lifestyle in a way also prohibits me from playing those games. And so they're not they're not tabled as often. Um, but that has nothing to do with um what I want. Except I guess I do still like choose to be with those friends who you know Your desire is to theoretically, still spend time yeah. with people. So theoretically I could ditch all my friends now. And only be friends with people who will play the games I want to play. <laughs> right. Which But I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> I've thought about it. It so begs the question. Sure. That's our next episode is should you choose your friends based on whether they play games or not? And that's, the answer is absolutely. <laughs> that's a great question though. <laughs> In a non joke way. Like at what point should you should you choose friends based on common interests and at what point should you just completely disregard that because why does it matter and there's you know validity to both sides um but that's not this episode i will say so we talked about this obviously already in terms of like what makes a game easy to get to the table or Mm -hmm. hard the first one that comes to mind is a game's length yeah so we'll sort of go into all the different reasons i think that that come to mind as what makes a game harder to get to the table um well there are some concrete variables and those are the ones that are on on like the side of the box right if any one of those is violated um it just kind of eliminates like if the player count has to be above four there's already a lot of times that it just can't get to the table 
um, or if it's a solo only game or whatever, uh, the length of the game and then the age. If you have like reading restrictions amongst the group, if you're playing with somebody who is visually impaired yep. or if you're playing with a young child or something like that. Or so a these are person. Right. So I think there are like these clear like it's not a matter of choice and it's not a matter of control. Like it's just some games are immediately ruled out based on those three. There might be more, but that's, I think why those three have become like the side of the box things that you point out because it's like, if you can't meet these requirements, it's just, yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Like those are the things that are advertised and they're not Mm -hmm. always accurate. Like um, a lot of games can be played with younger than it says on the box. A lot of games, take way longer most games most games take way longer than it says on the box they really do can you believe that you know why because the people who play tested the game all they do is play games <laughs> well i also think too it's an easier sell especially for mass market if i'm looking to place something on the shelf of a retailer if i say oh yeah this is generally a two-hour game there's immediately a large portion of probably their purchasing team that's like, ooh, that sounds long. Like, do people yep. want to play a game for that long? But they're if like, I can say, like, what's can we generally do? an hour, yeah. then they're like, oh, okay. The marketing team just is always saying, what can we do to make that number way lower? Mm-hmm. <laughs> probably. Which, I mean, that makes sense. Um, a good example, I played Lost Ruins of Arnak last night um, with some friends, and mm-hmm. they do, <laughs> they were like, how long it was their first time not my first time but mm-hmm. um they were like how long is this game and they're like it says 30 minutes on the box i was like no it says 30 minutes per, per player, player on the box <laughs> that means if you're playing solo yes 30 minutes two players an hour three players an hour and a half and in our case it was about two hours i was about to say and that's in a perfect world you were playing four players yeah so you know that worked out okay a lot of those games are like there's other things that factor besides like the you know because it'll say like per player but then like every additional player means there's gonna be more i don't know inefficiency in the player or whatnot there's oh yeah if somebody has to get up and get a drink like there's just more of those Uh things that's multiplied by four that reminds me of um the the group i played eon's end with the most just to get the quick eon's end um yes it has to come in every episode insert um (laughs) (laughs) every single time he would not actually, but like it was incredibly often that he would go up to like get something from the kitchen or like grab a drink of water or whatnot, or go to the bathroom. It would be like right before his turn started, like every single time. And in Eon's End, the turn order is randomized, and so you right. never really know if your turn is next. Um, and so but you can't know happens. if you just took your turn. <laughs> you can, unless. You can't, but never mind. That doesn't matter. <laughs> um, unless you shuffle it and then it gets... That's Anyways, true. I just thought that was funny. Um, so so you're suggesting that essentially if you get a group of people, there is, um, with every person you add, essentially another game on your shelf that becomes ineligible. And so it's sort of yes. like process of elimination. Mm-hmm. And... So the games that are easier to get to the table overall, your your um, strikes, your quacks of Quedlinburgs, your right. um, I don't know, a ticket to ride as yeah. A I mean, wingspan. Theoretical, you have just yeah, like yeah. The approachable, easy, good player counts. Approachable is a very commonly used word for this concept, I think, mm-hmm. um, or not exactly, but um, one aspect of the concept, which is essentially 
that newer gamers are more likely to have games that are ineligible, like more games that are ineligible. So if I invite right. my friend who loves board games or obsessed with board games, then we look at the game shelf and we're like, if it were just us two or, you know, us and clones of us, depending on the player count question, right. then like all of these games are eligible theoretically. Yep. But a newer player is more likely to be like, all right, those, you know, 60% of my games just aren't going to work. Oh, so yeah. approachability is huge for that reason. So anyways, essentially, it's process of elimination. It's sort of, for some reason, the image I got when you said that and I had that connection was that, was guess who? <laughs> I just thought of guess who? Like you have your game shelf, which this is kind of a funny idea. You have your board games. Each one is on a different character in guess who? And then <laughs> you ask the question, do we want to play a game that has um, negotiation? Right. No. <laughs> you just knock a few down. That's kind do of. Do we have more actually, than two players? No. <laughs> that's actually. I almost want to make that into an algorithm, <laughs> like a program. I mean, you could seriously buy a five dollar guess who. You buy guess who, put all your and games just put little <laughs> pictures of your games in the pic in the places of the people. Be like, all right. <laughs> That's a good idea, not only for functionality, but it's just cute. That's just it is. Cute. <laughs> All right. We need to start making products as the Better Board Games podcast. and we'll Better make Board a... Games product, yeah. Yeah. Product one. <laughs> make a horrible ripoff. Of I Guess love who. that idea. I love that idea. Um... <laughs> yeah, so I, I completely agree with that, that each person that's added, there's probably some variable that makes it a little more limiting. Every once in a while, like you said, us and clones of us will create this combination where it's like, we can play anything. But I'll be honest, I don't think I've ever hit that group, except for maybe like at a gaming convention. Whereas like, Ooh. I know we're all like equally devoted. We're locked into our time here. We literally have all day. And it's just like, we don't have anything else like pulling our attention or time or energies um so other than that i would say generally when i go to pull out a game which we've already covered we're generally the ones teaching games right um there's usually a handful of six or seven that i can point to and be like i think these will land well and they yep. fit within our time and player count and weight and all of that it's really a pretty small subset of games that I generally will consider when picking out a game. On top of those sort of concrete, like you said, um, factors to what games will work, like a lot of players, you know, wouldn't want to, maybe you physically don't even have three hours. Like you need to play a game in an hour and a half. Yeah. So a lot on top of those concrete examples, there's a lot of them that are, more ambiguous so sort of the right. abstract like my group doesn't or maybe it's hard for me to get um cosmic encounter to the table because mm -hmm. a lot of the time i'm with uh, enough people who just don't like negotiation games and don't like right. the social aspect of games and so all of a sudden any of my negotiation games are just you know off the table right right um so that's one, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of them. So the main one is complexity, right? Right. That one's a, theoretically more abstract, but it's the quickest thing that's going to be like, okay, we're not going to play those games because they're too yeah. complicated. That mm -hmm. is the 
most common example. I think there's a lot more that I'm interested to sort of like explore that question. Yeah, one of the biggest things I think that pops into my head um, is just if I, I kind of run this quick mental simulation of what people are likely to take offense at. Um, yeah, for yeah, example, yeah. I think we've talked about Sheriff of Nottingham before. It's one that I personally very much enjoy. I can think of like four or five people that I regularly game with that I'm just like, nope, not going to go there. It's just too <laughs> easy to get people fighting or arguing or frustrated with each other. And I just know that they're a little bit more volatile. And yeah. it's funny because it, it begs the question in my mind, like to do a self-assessment. I think we talk about self-assessments all the time on here, but <clears throat> I would love for people to assess how easy are you to game with? Like, how quickly do you get frustrated? How quickly do you check out of a game? How easily are you distracted? And all of these things contribute to not being able to pull out a game with you. Like, how much are you likely to complain about somebody else winning? Because games, honestly, there are a decent number of people that if the, if the score is very obvious in a game, I won't pull it out with them because as mm. soon as they get a ways behind, they just start complaining up and down about how far behind they are and how they can't come back from it. And I'm like, even if all that's true, you don't need to ruin the game for everyone else. And so right. picking a game where it's really hard to know how everyone else is sizing themselves up against everybody else is a lot better because then after the game, they can be frustrated. <laughs> yeah. And you can say goodbye to them before that. So yep. <laughs> Enjoy your frustration all alone. No, that's, <laughs> you know, maybe the worst idea. No. Um, so, yeah, th those are those are really interesting examples. Um, some for me that come to mind, or at least ones that, like, happen in my, you know, when I'm choosing games. I think that yours was an example of something that you've literally had the thought of. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to choose this for this person or, you know, these players. A really common one for me is not so much high complexity, but high com competition. Yeah. So the 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 games that are um, competitive games instead of cooperative games, but not only are they competitive, but they're really competitive. So like, yeah, I, I sort of, it sort of feels like a different genre to me um, because there are, I guess, competitive and cooperative games. Mm -hmm. But then there's so many games that are considered competitive because it is about everyone's against each other, one person trying to win that are so non-confrontational that I almost don't even think that that should be called a competitive game. Right. So like any given um, roll and write, typically. Yep. A lot of I was going to say welcome to came immediately to mind. Even a lot of Euro games, although those typically have more serious strategy. And so at that point it can feel more. Yeah. Like competitive, if that makes sense. Like you're actually competing to see who has the best, mm -hmm. you know, even though, technically railroad ink is the same way right yeah um, but like no one really i don't know feels like they were triumphant and dominant in their strategy in railroad right. ink. so it doesn't feel like a competitive thing um but the games that are like i i said it um already i brought it up already terra mystica gaia project root which root is yeah. an interesting example and i'll get to it later Okay. Really interesting example for a lot of reasons. Um, what else? Um, a I good one a that I of thought of games. in that category, um, Res Arcana, I think we've talked about before. Mm -hmm. um, I played for the first time recently, and it was, again, somebody who had played it a lot, 
I got a combination of cards and I felt bad about it, but I just hit them for all of their resources every round. Oh yeah. And eventually they were just like, I just have to forfeit. Like no, hey, my there's, God. there's nothing I can do. Right. And I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like That's hilarious. Did you did I break so this game with that game? The, uh, original like version of the game is you just deal out eight random cards and mm-hmm. that's your deck. Um, but the, I think the actual way the game is made is you draft them oh, okay. and that's just like, it's considered a variant, but it's like, you do that every time. If you're familiar with the game enough, you do it every single time. It's so fantastic um, because yeah. there are those combinations and synergies like you talked about, mm-hmm. but you have to pick them. Right. So right. Um, you, you have to choose them, but also hope that no one else chooses those cards instead. So yeah. Anyways, um, that's just a random tangent. tangent yeah, sorry. Random tangent. Um, Back to what you were saying. So those games just don't get to the table for me. Those are the ones that, that I have sort of, it has felt the most like I aspire to play them, but mm-hmm. they're just, it's just not going to happen. Right. Super often. And if at all, um, and especially those games typically work better with more players. Yeah. So it just becomes even more challenging to get them to the table. Root, mm-hmm. though, is interesting. So Root has another issue that makes it hard to get to the table, typically, which is that it's hard to teach. Because yeah. it's asymmetrical, if you don't know anything about Root, every faction in Root, um, everyone plays a different faction. Every single faction plays dramatically different, almost like it's a different game, but mm-hmm. they're all functioning on the map kind of parallel to each other. Right. And it's a war game, in a way. So... Um, some people think it's definitely not a war game. It's typically the really ha- hardcore war gamers. I found out that there's a lot of people who are upset that Root's considered a war game. I found that out. If you watch my um, reading bad reviews of Root video, you'll see those people. And it was very baffling to me. But anyways, um, Root is really hard to teach because every faction plays so differently. So you're literally, if you teach three people a game, so you know how mm-hmm. to play and you teach three people, you have to teach three different people three separate games right and so no one has each other to help each other and so it's it's the most isolating learning experience probably um for a player who typically maybe doesn't you know isn't so Mm -hmm. uh patient with learning games and so it's really uncommon to be able to play it right like that's the idea a lot of people say i love root it's so hard to get to the table like that's that's a really common criticism mm-hmm. of that game. For some reason, for me, I have played that game with a lot of different people and it has gone well. And I don't know why. Hmm. Because I'm not the kind of, you know, my gaming groups typically aren't the type that that makes sense for. Like I've already said, like, I will never get to play Terra Mystica enough because I don't have, you know, four other players who would want to play it. Right. Right. But Root works for some reason. I hmm. don't know why, um, because it's the most difficult one to get to the table by any given, like, you know, you look at the games, you would think that that would be the hardest one for me to get to the table. Right. I think it's because it's cute. It's fair. And that's a huge part of it, too, is like the theme and aesthetics that we haven't touched on yet. That's a great I, point. There's a lot of people that I'm like, 
this that I can trick into playing a game based mm-hmm. on how cute it is. And yep. that's Quacks of Quedlinburg. It hits all of those notes that it's like, oh, it's adorable. Throwing things in cauldrons, like chance of exploding. It's already like a great gateway to midweight game and has a decent amount of randomness so that people don't need to feel super bad about doing poorly. And it it helps so much that you pull it out and people are like, oh, and since I 3D printed like the little crates that the ingredients uh-huh. go in, it's just it just has that approachability and cute factor that um, it's almost always loved. I think Quacks is the crown jewel of approachable games. Yeah, because it to me doesn't lack in the things that I consider typically when approachability mm-hmm. is one of the main pros of a game. Yeah, I typically find a lot of flack in other ways. Right. And that's flax to me doesn't. And it's partially too because it hit a fantasy theme, but not so hard that it's a turnoff for those that aren't huge into fantasy. You're not fighting any two headed ogres or uh, harpies or anything like that. It's just it's <laughs> basically a cooking show. Like, Can we get a quacks expansion that you do fight? Yes, ogres? please. <laughs> You're just... Or better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, and not only are you making these potions for this, like, potion off or whatever it is, but you're actually giving them to heroes. Right. That, like, there's some, you know, there's things. I don't know what, I don't know how they would integrate that. There's games that do that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, Bargain Quest. Bargain Quest. Mm-hmm. And Boss Monster, okay. sort of. Don't play Boss Monster. <laughs> but here's this. Yeah, I didn't love Boss Monster. Um, but there's this, um, there's this thing that happens. You think about the games that have gotten past the hobbyist and into like the mainstream. Mm-hmm. I call them the new age classics, the targeters, Carcassonne. Yeah. Um, ticket to ride. It's amazing how often a game with a very generic and like very, uh, approachable theme mm-hmm. makes it into those um and it's because it can hit everybody who doesn't love a good train game because it's like a bygone era it's trains essentially <laughs> it's boring settlers of Catan, boring as heck like as far as theme goes like mm-hmm. you're literally trading bricks and sheep and wheat and ore to build another building and build a road and it's like oh and what's the payoff for that road you get to build another building like it's so devoid of any excitement that anyone can sit down at the table and be like oh yeah this is familiar i know what a road is i know what a building is i don't have to learn anything and it drives me insane sometimes i was about to say I wish can... I could appreciate that, but I'm mostly just <laughs> upset about that. <laughs> exactly. But it's it's something that I understand as a necessary evil of consumerism in board games that, I mean, in all fairness, there are some themes that turn me off hardcore war games that are like, if it has a date after it, I'm most likely <laughs> not going to want to play it. Uh-huh. Because that's not why I play games. If I want something with a date after it, I'm going to read a good book. Timeline is the exception because I love testing my knowledge of dates. Um, But weird like reenactments. I also don't like reenactments in any sense. Period costume like uh, villages that you go walk around make me so incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I know that that's that's a thing in 
in my psyche as well that I just am completely turned off towards. So I'm guilty of that as well. But just keep in mind, if you want a game to just land, pick your game that has the most boring, bland theme. I don't know. I think that's true specifically sometimes. (laughs) Specifically sometimes. Very specifically sometimes. Because like, what other games are mega hits in a in the non-hobby world are there I, I guess that's a good question like are there any that do have like a very strong something you know <laughs> i don't know i just i strong can't personality or whatnot and it's it's obviously a really hard thing to pinpoint because there's the whole spectrum of games like where do you put mysterium and obscurio on that scale of like psychics and i mean i guess pan excuse me pandemic is the is a good example of a game that like hit the mass market and it has Mm -hmm. like a you know it has a theme yeah um same with wingspan probably still it's bird watching (laughs) that's a there's no way you can call wingspan like an exciting theme it's not an exciting theme but at least it's a uh, it's a colorful theme like it's not bland is that what makes hobby games like feel hobbyist it's like this game is a specific theme and category and production yeah well i don't know because there's also boring you know agricola is a boring theme yeah it's farming but it's uh, you know maybe that's not boring to some people totally fair um it's but it's yeah it's interesting to farmers I'm actually really curious. My so my grandma, who um, her and her, my grandpa um, have a ranch in Canada, mm-hmm. and so they're farmers. Like she has a really pretty big garden that she grows a lot of fruits and vegetables, and then they're ranching. You know, so mm-hmm. um, you know they know what farming is like. But then when Farmville became popular, my grandma got <laughs> so into it. Oh, really? And I thought it was so funny because she like does that outside, but then she does it on her computer too. So like, I'm curious if like Agricola, I don't know. Um, anyways, yeah, that, that's a good question. But um, to kind of bring it back to the topic, there's all sorts of games that are hard to get to the table. Some of them mm-hmm. are easier. I, it typically is theme that can alleviate the things that make a game maybe... Un, or ineligible so right if you're playing maybe you're hanging out with a bunch of um i don't know people who just like love nature you're mm-hmm. just with a bunch of outdoorsy people and they have never played a board game in their life you might be able to get them to play parks right even though that's more complex than they've maybe ever seen before and any game of that complexity typically would be not a super fun time for them right parks has a theme that will hook them and i think that that is the main thing that can change the tides for a game that's hard to get to the table if it has a theme that's interesting your group to your group then almost anything becomes possible if that makes sense like yeah people are willing to deal with a lot if it's something that's engaging them otherwise right i agree with that um let's bring this around to a quick uh 
summary wrap up and conclusion and then head into the post show because we've kind of hit our uh, 30 minute mark um though i have i have a maybe a question big enough that it won't be a wrap-up question um (laughs) because i think it's worth asking this question um so there's all these games that everyone can think of in their collection that are like these are hard to the table Mm -hmm. to get to the table the question is like in my or um for you what do you think of those games because for me those games are considered to be like a dream reality. I'm going to keep them because one day I'm going to be able to play them enough. One day I'm going to find someone who like a group who will love this game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I keep buying those games too. So like, but then I've heard a lot of people who say, Oh, I'm not going to really get this game to the table enough. So I'm going to sell it. Right. Wh- where are you at for that? So I, I sit a little bit more on the side of, let's see, let's talk about really quick the function that board games play in my life. I love playing games, but a little bit more than that, I love introducing people to new games. I love seeing people have a good time in a way that they didn't uh, know existed before. And so it's actually not uncommon for me to if I have a game like that, that has sat on my shelf for a while that hasn't been played and I play it with somebody who's very excited about it, it's not uncommon for me to just send it home with them and just say like, you enjoy it. You take it like that. That isn't uncommon for me. The other side of it is board games are almost like a, um, like a journaling or a way I organize like the enjoyable moments I've had with people And so I keep a lot of games around purely because I can look through my collection and I can catalog mentally like the different people and like the fun things we've done like and played in relation to those games. So for me to get rid of them, I'm a little bit of a collector anyway. I like I like a good collection of things. So if we've played a game a couple times and it's never led to memorable experiences, Um, I'm likely to get rid of it no matter how easy it is to get to the table. If a game was played only once, but that one time was pretty awesome and it's memorable, I'm likely to keep it even though I know that I'll probably never play it again. Mm. And that's, that's in general and a quick overview of kind of my habits of holding on to board games. I think as far as I understand it at this point in my life, (laughs) that's, that's really interesting. I, 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 appreciate that partially just because your you know your generosity into like give the game away because truthfully with any given game it's the right game for someone right mm-hmm. and so um for somebody that game will be easy to get to the table hopefully mm-hmm. um i will say there's games like twilight imperium that are i would say the crown jewel game that's hard to get to the table mm-hmm. um compared to quacks being the easy game yeah um because twilight imperium is really complicated requires four or more players ideally probably five maybe six i don't remember what's best and it takes about eight plus hours Mm -hmm. um so it's it's very obviously really hard to get to the table but i don't know there's something about that that 
adds to the game experience, right? It's mm-hmm. the almost, it's an event in and of itself. And you can't get that with Quacks of Quedlinburg. You know, right. you're going to play Quacks of Quedlinburg often, and it's going to be a lot of fun every time, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's just dreadful when things just go so horribly wrong. <laughs> but you probably will never have the level of experience, at least in magnitude, that Twilight Imperium will bring you. Yeah. I feel the same way about Mage Knight, which is less... It's very different because it actually is best at one or two, um, but still takes, you know, three plus hours, maybe four or five, depending. Um, And that game is epic. And nothing else has made me feel so like it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, nothing else has made, has felt so epic. And that's partially because of how the things that make it hard to get to the table are true. Um, but that makes it great in a way. Yeah, I completely agree. So yeah, that was sort of a, I guess, um, almost a list, a very tangential list of what makes a game hard to get to the table. Not only is it um, sort of the concrete factors of how long it takes, how many players it requires to be good, um, but also, or like how easy it is for a young player to play, but also things like, does this game have more challenging social moments or Mm -hmm. does it have a lot of high competition that people will feel really uncomfortable playing in or does it have another another example that i didn't think of to say it or i did think of it but i didn't say it um is word games or like spelling games i have a friend who's dyslexic and so it's literally just much more challenging for them to play and much less fun because of that and so when when we're playing a game with him we just don't play letter jam or whatnot um yeah because it's just that would be you know that wouldn't be fun so those are sort of the reasons why a game might be yeah yeah um really quick evan if people want to find more of you what's the best place to go for that like my address i'm just kidding <laughs> yes if they want to find you if they want to find something you. that really offends them <laughs> really quick um i am on youtube <laughs> under being friends um as well as instagram under being friends official um because someone else is named being friends on Instagram. So so weird. People being friends all over the place. I know. <laughs> um, if you want to find more of me, I'm the board game critic. Um, I'm by that name on YouTube, um, on Instagram. If you search the board game critic, I'm pretty sure I come up, but I think my handle is the board critic. Um, and yeah, I honestly, this podcast is, if you want to uh, hear some of my more interesting thoughts this is probably the place so you're probably in the right place i was gonna right say <laughs> just recording this podcast with you i've heard a lot of your most interesting thoughts for sure <laughs> <laughs> and that's i try not to be too like ranty on instagram and youtube and stuff like that so but... this is this is the board critic on um yeah, censored like unleashed untamed, yeah. <laughs> uncensored this is this is me it's just um, like the board critic is like I love games. Here, look at this fun game. And then, and then this podcast version of the board critic is like, sometimes I want other players to die who beat me. And that's a bit of a, um, 
maybe hyperbolic um, quote yeah. or example of a quote. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to be my friend? Um, <laughs> no. Anyway, let's go to the post show. <laughs> I also do think it's funny that I'm not like, I mean, I, sometimes I will talk about um, on this podcast, like those sort of harder feelings of being like, I just, it doesn't actually, you know, I don't know. My, my name is being friends on other things, but on this podcast, there are times where I'm like, I wish I felt like being friends was the most important thing. But sometimes <laughs> I don't, um, I, which I think is, totally okay yeah i do think the i think what we have going for us with this podcast is being a little bit more authentic and raw <laughs> about everything yeah. eventually we'll be talking about like the most <laughs> selfish feelings that board gamers typically have just things yeah. like i mean we i actually think it's on one of our lists like what do you do when one of our topic ideas is when somebody wants to join for a game but you're already gonna play a specific game and you're at max player count yeah like, like this has happened in my household, <laughs> there's five people who like Eon's End, and mm -hmm. the game is a four-player game. And so we'll, like, ask, like, does anyone want to play or whatever? And sometimes it's, like, four people say yes, and then one person, like, comes downstairs or whatever, and they're like, oh, can I play? And it's like, actually, no. <laughs> and some people would have a really easy time to just go, you know, yeah, let's do something else so that we can all do it together. And then sometimes it's like, no, I kind of want to do what we talked about doing. I don't know. There, there's a there's a question there and a hard answer. Generally, sometimes. generally, I'm the one that will say, like, you know, what? I'll step out. I, I actually enjoy watching a game as well. And then I have the freedom to, like, come and go and stuff, <clears throat> especially if it's a game like Eon's End, where I can <laughs> where I can be like a light quarterback and like kind of just like, uh, you know, Nick Fury, the whole thing. Um. I actually don't mind that too much. Yeah, but that's not yeah. there have been a lot of times where it's like, <gasps> we're already at the player count. Um, yeah, that's the thing. It's just a thing that happens. And <laughs> it's a hard thing to navigate sometimes. Um, or more more commonly, it's you're actually organizing an event and then a friend is like, can I come too? And it's like, yeah, we're not really. And that's an okay thing to have to say to someone, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's hard okay. though. Um, um, we also didn't talk about legacy games. Those are hard oh, to get to the true. table. Those are so hard to get to the I table. I will say we, 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 I think we'll do a whole episode on legacy games. I was going to say. And that aspect of them being maybe what makes them. Because legacy games are almost like a separate category that like. Totally. You kind of have to gear up for it, do your research, kind of learn how they play even. Like me doing my first legacy game was like it was a took a significant amount of emotional preparation just to like pay for the more expensive game commit to I'm going to play this 10 times with the same group of people. It, I don't know. There's a lot that goes into it emotionally. And I think a lot of gamers are just like, I don't even know how to start a legacy game. Yeah, that that's fair. Um, yeah. So the one of the first games I played in getting into the hobby was Pandemic Legacy. Um, oh, cool. I was already like huge fan of board games, and we would like play. We played Catan a lot for a while. Obviously, like everyone does that. We played a lot of Munchkin. Um, 
and then I got like things like Small World mm-hmm. and some other sort of like Lords of Waterdeep, I think was in my collection at the time, King of Tokyo, before nice. I sort of like dove into the hobby. Yeah. Um, but one of those first games was Pandemic Legacy. Um, and we're still, that group is still in the middle of season two because we got, we sh- flew through season one and then, well, not actually, that's not a good example, or sorry, not a good description for what <laughs> happened with season one. But season two has taken us two times, if not three times longer. Yeah. Um, and then similarly, I have a game, The King's Dilemma, oh, that I, I got that so bad. about a year ago. And we haven't started. Oh, if it's possible it's to do to remotely, to the... can you have me join your your games? <laughs> um it might be on tabletop simulator we could get a group together that sounds kind of fun that could be fun i i I want to play that one so bad yeah me too um so yeah what what's uh how's it going we we've been recording week to week basically lately yeah which means the like what games have you been playing question becomes a lot you know harder to reach a (laughs) A quote the the quota (laughs) Right. Um, I've actually played a significant number of like fairly new to me games or because of my New Year's resolution to try and get through my whole game collection this year. Um, I've been trying to play some of my more obscure games that don't hit the table near as often, Um, which includes a lot of like, have you ever heard of Avalam? No. A-V-A-L-A-M. It's one of those like coffee table games that's pretty and wooden and, um, you know, old people just leave out on their coffee table. Does it have like spheres? It's not spheres. They're little round like pucks that like stack on top of each other. Kind of like I'm thinking something else. Pegs. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's really simple, pretty checkers feeling game where you're just trying to stack these pieces and a stack can only be five pieces high. And you're just trying to end with the most towers um, uh-huh. that have your color on top. Um, nice. I, it's one that I grew up with and my wife had never played, but I've had in my collection. I mean, ever since I saw it at a thrift store yeah. when I was in high school, just because I knew I'd want it one day. And I told her, I was like, not that I love this game that much, but it's I have really fond memories of yeah. playing this with my mom, just like she would yeah, pull it yeah, out yeah. like, let's play a quick game of Avalam and being really proud when I beat her the first time, like little things like yeah, that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. just so you're aware, even if we don't play this game a lot, it'll probably always be part of our collection. I love that one of your um, memories with a f- game that like is important to you because of the memories. One of the main ones was being proud of yourself for winning the first time. <laughs> that sounds on par my mom would not go easy on us with games um i think that's a good thing i think it is too it just like it was when you won there could be real validation there that totally you had done totally um i also just love my mom a ton she's we go walking every uh wednesday morning um that's awesome walking and just we always have so much to talk about even though she lives like a mile away and I don't know. It's it's fun having gaming memories with family. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I have a lot of that. That's I think my origin story as yeah. a gamer. It is hugely because of that. I even remember as a kid the it's actually really interesting. Wow, like thinking about this and I have before, so this isn't the first time I made this connection, but like 
um, I played board games with my uncles a lot in Canada mm-hmm. um, at that ranch I mentioned, yeah. aforementioned <laughs> ranch. Um, we would go there every summer. And so, but my, my uncles, my dad was like less into the, you know, the, the board games, video game stuff. But mm-hmm. his younger brothers were a lot more into it, probably just because they were younger. Um, so it was, I don't know, became more popular when they were growing up to play, you know, Nintendo and um, role playing games and whatnot. So anyways, right. I grew up going to Canada and playing games with them. And um, it became my fondest memories of my childhood. Um, even as I got older and we would like, spend I, I we would start playing the more complex games like one of them that we played a lot was shadows over camelot um mm-hmm. also i don't remember other ones we played a lot one of them i remember playing was iron dragon it's a oh. train it's like a route building game where it's mm-hmm. in a fantasy world and you're trying to essentially pick up and deliver um things to different cities it's a pick up and deliver game but it's like really long and not super complex, but like it was complex at the time. Yeah. And again, really long. And I fell in love with it in eighth grade. So it was like in eighth grade, I was like, it was my favorite game and it was complicated. So like growing up, I already was like excited about complex games. It became some of my most fun memories, like hanging out late night, laughing and stuff. But then I remembered thinking about that a lot. But then I remembered moments and like a lot of times that I would want to play a board game. And what that meant is I would have to ask people to play with me. Right. And so I would a lot of the times, but I remember um, being really scared to ask, Mm -hmm. knowing that people might not be able to. And so this was when I was growing up. And so that was like a thing that I did. I I wanted to play board games more than a lot of people did. So it was like... Mm -hmm. looking at me now it like makes a lot of sense but like i even then when i was a kid and then um what's interesting is that that's one of the hardest things for me to approach like emotionally and like socially is asking people to do something yeah with me for some reason i don't know the origin of it i've always been that way so like Mm -hmm. even when i was a kid i would be afraid to ask people to play a board game with me knowing that they might say no and i think i've even talked about that on this podcast, I was gonna um, say it was one of our because, very, it was one of our very early episodes. For some reason, this podcast is also just therapy for me and you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> turns out. Um, um, but yeah, I don't know. Just one thing about that, that one thing that was going to come up in the body of the episode, and then I just didn't talk about it when we were talking about me like voicing my real opinions. I uh-huh. I know I can get strong opinions. Um. The funny thing is, I that's something that I've been working on tempering a little bit more lately because I think I can track it back. Here's a little fun history lesson on McKay. Um, <laughs> I did I did debate hardcore in high school. Um, maybe sense. that's not surprising. <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think I was close. People know me. They're just I like, was, oh yeah, that tracks. I was close to doing it. Yeah. I didn't want to put the work in though. It's a lot. It's I would have been research. good at it though. I think so. And that's I I think you generally hit somebody who's pretty comfortable voicing their opinions and stuff. And I wasn't always like that. I got into it from the speech side of things. I did impromptu speaking. That's fun. Um, But 
yeah, once I hit like the debate side, it's just like kind of an artifact from high school that I'm trying to like, I'll take extreme views because that's how you that's how you win debates, not necessarily like extremist, but like, you can't waffle at any point in an argument or else it just looks like you aren't sure of your resolution. Right, right. And so I, I developed this, you could call it ability skill or, or weird, like, <laughs> yeah, or next something negative, um, where <laughs> I will really quickly evaluate in my head what I think, and then say like, this is my story and I'm sticking to it as my father-in-law would always say. Um, yeah. And that's just, I still do that. So if you ever catch me, <laughs> just like, I think you've formed like this rock hard opinion <laughs> a little bit too quickly. I am pretty good at like, no, you're right. Now I'm pivoting and this is my decision. <laughs> that's really funny. I'm, I do similar things, not exactly that, but like on the same note, I guess it's different though. So it's like, sometimes I'll hear someone's opinion on say a movie. So they're mm -hmm. like, I didn't really like it. And that immediately makes me go, I want to watch it because I might like it. And if I do, then I can tell you why. <laughs> right. And I, I have that urge. <laughs> Which this is probably why I actually think this is how this podcast got started. Was it not on a text so thread where was, we were talking about Monopoly? Chat. It was a group chat and you brought up how you think Monopoly is underappreciated. And yes. I do sort of, I do think I agree with that. But I don't think that that makes it a good game by any means. Right. The things that make Monopoly better than we thought still aren't enough to redeem it. And so we kind of were talking about mm -hmm. that whole thing. And it was basically a debate. And we were like, man, not enough people <laughs> are like into into doing this. And so we we're right. like, let's let's talk more and let's do a podcast of where we are willing to just completely disagree. But yeah. then in like talking about what we wanted for a podcast, and things we kind of wanted to, to touch on, we sort of abandoned that. Right. I think we are willing to, and we're going to at some point. Yeah, I think like, I would talk like to about we things find... that we disagree about. Yeah, that's fine. But at some point, we realized that we're much more interested in talking about, I guess, life bringing topics in the hobby instead yeah. of like, just disagreeing about games. Like, that's not fun. It is funny. to. It think is fun, back. but it's not. <laughs> Yeah, super funny to think back that that was our premise for the podcast initially was we're going to find two people with <clears throat> with opposing opinions and we're going to like just have it out. And <laughs> we we swung completely in the other direction. Like we're so non-confrontational on this where it's just like, which it's not surprising, I guess, when you know who we are. It's just like, no, like, let's make us, let's make ourselves better. Let's just do better and find good things in the world. Uh, it was basically a counter to us. I yeah. think we're actually just reckon or reconciling with our, our flaws. <laughs> probably, probably. Um, so... Evan, you, you said you're homesick today. We're not in person. I am. None of you realized that. We've never been in the same room together. <laughs> <laughs> That's Which true. Is weird. Um, but <laughs> the really buzzworthy question, is it COVID? And when will you be better? <laughs> um, I don't know if it's COVID. All right. um, I got tested. My The person who I was exposed <clears throat> to, their dad got it. Okay. 
and they saw them like last Sunday or something. And it's Friday today. For those of you who care about this timeline, <laughs> it doesn't matter, but I figured I'd say it. Um, and then they tested negative yesterday. So oh, okay. I'm sick and I already got tested. So I'm still waiting for my results. Yeah. And I figured I wasn't going to just be like, all right, then we're good for sure. Because honestly, at this point in um, the um, sort of COVID story yeah. in the United <laughs> States, this is um, for those of you who are listening and don't feel like looking at what date it is when this podcast was published. The date of recording is January 14th. And if you remember, depending on when you're listening to this, um, COVID, the Omicron virus is going crazy. Mm-hmm. And so essentially right now, the chance of me having COVID is way higher than it ever has been. Probably. Right. And so I'm still quarantining. I'm off work. Um, I feel fine for the most part. I feel under the weather. Like it's yeah. not very bad, but. This yeah. is, we, we went through a very similar thing with our oldest son. Um, he carpools uh, with a group to school and he had carpooled. And then later that day, the mom who drove them said, um, I tested positive for COVID. Um, so we were like, uh, we should probably get him tested. And then that yep. night he was coughing through the night, was complaining about a headache. And I was just like, ah, oh, crud. Um, but then we got him tested and nothing, it hasn't spread to any of the rest of us. Wow. And so we just today sent him back to school after being quarantined for like the entire week. And because the Omicron variant has been so out of control, it took like three days to get test results back just because they're so backed up with test results that we literally quarantined him for no reason. He didn't even have symptoms past that first night. It was just a combination of the exposure and some symptoms yeah. that we're like better it's, safe than sorry it's the covid scare um yep <laughs> it's the it is the state of the world yeah um, anyway yeah, i need to I, hear more about that i was able to luckily my roommate just recovered from covid a couple days cool. before i got it basically <laughs> and so and i hadn't really seen him i had already tested negative from his um yeah so anyways um they have been able to still like be around me because i'm pretty sure you're sort of immune for a little bit like you don't have to quarantine for 90 days if you'd had it or no i don't know (laughs) anyways hopefully it's um a kosher thing to do so we were able to play ashes a couple days ago nice and um that was very fun i hadn't played in a while i'm very fond of it i got into the game right before getting into flesh and blood mm-hmm. and flesh and blood has essentially overshadowed that game for yeah. me because I mean, you can talk about, there's a lot of things you could say as to why, but part of the reason is I, there's more hype around it currently mm-hmm. with the people that I, you know, play games with my local game stores don't play ashes at all. Um, but ashes is still fantastic. It's yeah. very good. And so I played it and got to just remember that firsthand because some new a couple weeks ago new decks were released um, new expansions and so i picked those up and we were able to try them and yeah the new cards are fun it's a good game it's a great game good um the one the one game that i'm like super excited to get um i got it for my birthday uh in december is abyss and Mm -hmm. i got the kraken expansion um Somebody for Christmas gave me a $20 gift card to Amazon and 
it was it matched up with the price for the Kraken expansion. Nice. Um, Abyss I is wanted to play fun. Abyss. Let's jump. Let's schedule a time and jump on Board on, Game Arena because the 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 adaptation on Board Game Arena is really great. It I've showcases heard. the artwork ni- nicely. Um, it's I've, just solid. I've really wanted to play Abyss. I I like the theme in concept. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's just deep sea stuff, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, like I love this... I love the deep sea stuff. They're all yeah. spooky. It's like all of these, like the council of like seven or like five different um, classes or groups in yeah. like this undersea adventure. So you have like your squid esque cool. people, your crab like people, your jellyfish people. Yeah, I um, probably really like it. It's it's good, and it's a pretty. Um, I would say it's a step past a gateway game into like slightly heavier. But it's really not that bad um, as far as like the the weight goes. It's considered medium light on Board Game Geek, which medium light yeah. is certainly that. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, I hope you I hope you get feeling better and can get back to normal life. I hope the test comes back negative and everything. Um, Me too. I think I'm going to get my results tomorrow. But the problem is I had a, a session of Pathfinder mm-hmm. scheduled for tomorrow morning. Mm. And so it's basically just like, that's not going to happen. And then I'm going to get my probably negative results. Yeah. So that's just annoying, but it's also fine. That's not the end of the world. Yeah, it's annoying though. Yeah. Cool. Um, Awesome. Well, we'll wrap it up here. Thank you everyone for listening. As always, um, if you could leave us a review or just reach out to us directly, um, we just we enjoy meeting people that we uh, that have listened to the podcast and it helps us just make connections, which is what we're all about here. That's completely true. And I will ask a question for those listening. Um, what games do you have that you that are hard to get to the table that are just like disproportionately just never going to get to the table? Some of them are on your shelf of shame. Some of them are. That's a whole concept in itself, I will say. Yeah. Um, did we talk about that already? I don't think we've talked about Shelves of Shame. Okay. And then Anyways. we'll talk about shelf shaming. And how what you shouldn't that? shelf shame. What is shelf shaming? <laughs> I guess we'll have a conversation about that in a future episode. Because I have no idea what that is. <laughs> I may have just made it up. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's like food shaming. But you're shelf shaming. You're... Uh, you're criticizing other people for their choice of board games what's really funny is that i just had the idea to do a video series or just one video on youtube where i have people send me their shelves or board game geeks Mm -hmm. probably board game geeks and i roast them (laughs) (laughs) i literally am gonna shelf shame people (laughs) um for entertainment (laughs) and profit not a lot of profit but that's yeah. the idea. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I'll look forward to that episode. You you can send me your board game geek and I'll happily roast I, you. I don't know. I'm already like slightly insecure about the fact that I sit heavily in like the light medium range of board games. So that that would be a, the right way to feel about it. I'm just <laughs> I should be I should feel ashamed. You should feel insecure. <laughs> it's not my fault, it's my kid's fault, okay? That's fair. Blame it on your kids. All right. We're out. (laughs) Yeah. See ya. (laughs) Bye.